0: Hello everyone, welcome to Conversations with Manuel, where I host interactive sessions with interesting people in politics, media, religion, and many other fields. If you've never listened in, you're welcome, and uh, I hope you you can check the previous episodes. The first one I, I spoke with, the 2019 senatorial candidate of the PDP in Lagos West, Baribar Roosevelt. And lately, last week, I spoke with Vivian Chima, who is a journalist. We We had an interesting conversation. This week, I spoke with Nigeria's Best. He is the co-host of the Nigerian Politics Weekly Podcast. We spoke about the NSAS movement, the security challenges in the country, and many other issues. Enjoy the conversation. Let's just jump right into it since we already have some interesting stuff we're we're talking about. But as I said, uh, the key things I I would like to talk about, the security, um, challenges in the country um, and then the sudden Sunday ego, ego and the whole cessation thing which I know in the end it will always die down but somehow they always come up again and then um, the incest aftermath um, apparently no one knows where where that is going um, going to but I, I know I, my, my honest opinion has always been that one they were shocked that you know such Protests um, happened on a large scale, and now their response is to just keep quiet until it it dies off.
1: No, they're it's it's a they're in a very complicated situation mm-hmm. because the, the if you step back and ask yourself what 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 is really going on, and you will find that the fundamental problem is the Nigerian state as it is was more or less designed by a group of army officers who took power in July 1966. Mm -hmm. This constitution, this country is their design and the design is no longer working because they designed a state in which the military and a large proportion of the northern political elite held power through brute force and sometimes bribery and everybody else was supposed to accept this arrangement. But what is happened? What has happened over the years is, first of all, the population has grown, so we don't even have enough security forces to impose brute force on the whole nation. And secondly, because the economy is bad and the population has grown, we don't even have. They don't even have enough money as well to bribe as many people as possible. Mm-hmm. So what is then ha- therefore happening is. People are agitating and the state doesn't have the capacity, both in terms of competence or or money, to suppress the the problems. So this is what is triggering all the crisis that we seem to have every five to it seems every every two, three to five years, something new comes up. Mm -hmm. But these are just symptoms of the fundamental problem, Mm -hmm. which is the design of the Nigerian state is faulty.
0: So what are some of those designs that you think um, uh, need to be tackled? Well, uh, the first
1: step is a lot of people talk about restructuring and it's important because when Nigeria got uh, independence, we had a truly federal constitution and a lot of the universities, the schools that our parents attended were a product of that constitutional freedom the first republic enjoyed. Like I can give an example of my father. My father attended Edo College in the 19, I think 40s to 50s. Mm. And Edo College was was government-owned, but it could rival schools in England or America in terms of the the quality of the teaching and the intellect of the of the teachers. And what happened over time is the military came in, they mismanaged the economy, couldn't pay teachers, couldn't train teachers. And education has deteriorated since then. So you now find people who go to you uni- who are graduates of universities in Nigeria, who cannot even construct basic sentences. Mm-hmm. So that has affected their employment prospects and their general life chances. So th- these will be, so education is one example that has collapsed. Mm-hmm. Healthcare is another example. Many, many years ago, people were being born in Nigeria. It wasn't a death sentence to, to go to a Nigerian hospital. but well, these things are changing. So healthcare is collapsing. Education is collapsing. Security is collapsing. So these are all symptoms, again, of this faulty design. So if we don't fix the design, we're, we risk an implosion of the country.
0: I would, I would honestly agree with you when it comes to um, the education sector. I visited a couple of um, government secondary schools and um, primary schools and even the infrastructure there is just just messed up and you ask yourself how how can student learn in, in such horrendous um, conditions and then you you look at um, something that has always bothered me is the i don't know if i would call it the quota system when it comes to um admissions into universities, you see that some states, you have a, a lower cutoff because um, it's assumed that the standard of educational learning there is, is is poor compared to other states. And then you have someone from, say, Abia State who, who had a 198, and someone from, say, Taraba, 98. And because you know the, the, the competition in Abia State is sort of high, is higher compared to Taraba. Um, the one who had 98 gets the admission because the cutoff for Taraba is lower. But the one from Abia State who had 198 won't because you know there are others from the state who probably had 360. And so in the end, you know, you're not you're not having those who, who are well qualified in that sense. I don't know if if that if that makes sense to you.
1: Yes, I I understand the point you are making. That's one of the challenges Nigeria faces. Uh, For historical reasons, education in the north has not been as developed as it is in the south. And funny enough, the education in the south is is still terrible, as you know.
0: Absolutely,
1: yeah. Parents attended are not the same quality schools that we attended. But still, It's better than what is happening in the north. Mm -hmm. Now, if you had a government that had what I would call thinking people, you would say, rather than lower the standard for people to attend university, you should focus at the nursery, primary, and secondary level so that we are skilling up more students so that they can pass exams to enter university at the competitive level. I mean, I went to university in... England, mm. we all at A-levels. Every university, especially if you go to what they call the Russell Group universities, they have a standard where they think, before we can admit you, we need to know you're able to academically meet a standard. So universities like Ibado or ABU or University of Benin also have their standard. But if you're forcing them to lower it, yeah. to admit a student, then mm. obviously it's going to impact the quality of the university experience because there's the biblical saying that iron sharpens iron. So sometimes students become more intelligent, not just because of their teachers, but because of the quality of the other students in the classroom. Now, if a professor is having to devote more time to teaching somebody the basic stuff because they haven't learned it at secondary school, then the quality of everybody's education goes downhill. Even the university itself, loses his reputation because the quality of his students are not at the level they should be. So my view is I agree that there's a problem in the North with regards to education, but the solution is not to lower admission standards. The solution Mm -hmm. is to focus on the quality of teaching at nursery, primary Mm -hmm. and secondary levels.
0: Absolutely. I I, I would agree with you that It's dealing with it at the roots. But... Again, when I when I look at say appointments in Nigeria generally, you look at the Ministry of Education, you look at the health sector, and um, I think a couple of years ago, when was it, Um Dora Kunile, um, in I think it was Jonathan's um, administration. She she was part of the and those nominated for for confirmation, but. By the Senate, and you know she st- she studied pharmacy. She was a pharmacist, and uh, even before the portfolios were distributed, um, the medical doctors were already revolting that we do not want uh, a pharmacist to head the health sector. We want a medical doctor. Now, I would agree with that in a sense that okay, we should have a medical administ- administrator. But you look at other ministries, say the education, and those that we have heading it. The ministers, even all through their career, they haven't really been involved in the education sector. i forgotten the name of the current minister, uh, but if my memory serves me right, he 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 was a journalist. And I've I've looked at his background and all that. He had nothing to do um working in in the education uh, ministry. So why is it that some of this some of these sectors of ministries that should be important. We do not have the right people who, who are manning them. I would agree that
1: for many of our ministries, in particular education, the man gentleman you're referring to is Adamu. Adamu, Adam, Adam, yeah, thank you. Yes, he. I agree that he's not qualified to be minister for education, but... I hold that view not because he has no experience of being a professor or a teacher, because when you look at the successful countries in the world, for example, England and Britain or America, many of their education secretaries have not been people who were teachers, because at that level, at the level of minister, your job is not to be a professor or a yeah, teacher, absolutely. your job is to develop policy. Mm-hmm. So. It doesn't, In my view, it doesn't really matter whether you're a teacher or not a teacher. The real question is, have you initiated and implemented sensible policies to help education get better? And sadly, the answer is no. I can use the example of my daughter, for example. I have a young daughter who is in a, a school in, in the village where I live in, England. The interesting thing about the school is... It's owned by the church but funded by the government. Now the government doesn't have a minister sitting somewhere controlling the money. They transfer the money for each school to a board of governors. The board of governors is made up of people from the church and parents and people from the local community. So they are the ones that manage the school budget. They hire the head teacher and hire all the other teachers in the school. And because The people in the community have an interest in making the school good. The school has one of the highest, has the highest rating. It's rated outstanding, which in England means the top rated school. But you can see how it's managed locally. So if I were education minister, I would go to England or come to go to America and say, look, what policies have you guys implemented to make your, your schools good? And when I see that they've done this with schools in England, I would go back and do the same. So, schools, presti- old prestigious schools like Edo College or King's College or even Queen's College, I won't waste time trying to run the school from Abuja. I'll say no. Set up a board of governors, 50% of them will be made up of maybe old boys of the school, old girls of the school, and the other 50% made up of parents. And every year you say, okay, the budget for Edo College is 10 million naira. You guys, here's the 10 million. You guys run the school yourselves. You can even raise money from donations. Our only job will be to conduct inspections from time to time. And I'll give you an example, a practical example. There were two schools that used to be rivals in Lagos many, many years ago. You had St. Gregory's yeah. and you had King College. Okay. St. Gregory was handed back to the missionaries, I think about five to 10 years ago. And if you look at St. Gregory's now, it is now a fantastic school. Then you look at King's College Lagos Mm. that has remained with the government with the the same structure that it used to have. King's College is now a shadow of its former self. You have many alumni of the school who go around shouting Floriat, Floriat, we went to King's College, but none of them can send their kids to those schools. And for me, that is the test of the education sector in England or in America. You have generations who boast Mm. that my child went to the University of London, I went to the University of London, My grandfather went to the University of London. It's a thing of pride for them. But in Nigeria, you cannot find a single person who can sit down and boast that I went to King's College and my children and great grandchildren, are also going to go to King's College Lagos because nobody's going to do that. So to, sorry for talking for too long, but my view is it's not really about the, whether the minister is a teacher or a Mm -hmm. professor, it's about the, the
0: quality of the policies that he introduces. Absolutely, I I'll agree with you that yes, <laughs> the person doesn't have to be a teacher or professor. But my point is, at least it has to be someone who has been involved in in the sector in a sense that understands the problem and, or maybe has has studied it. But I find that most of the people who who are placed in these positions have had no, or rather, have no idea what is actually going on there. And I wonder why is it because we. Is it because the, the governors or the presidents are just concerned about, you know, satisfying someone at the top, or is it really about dealing with the issues?
1: Well, as, as I said at the at outset, yeah. Nigeria, as you see it, is a product of the design of, that the military officers in July 1966 uh, created. This is their design. Now, if you decide you want to reform schools, in the way I've said, that is part of restructuring. Yeah. And those generals or that that elite cabal that has designed this country will not agree to that, because that means they are losing yeah. their, the power that they have over the structure of Nigeria. So that's why oftentimes you see basic things that you think it's not rocket science to just change this thing. Mm-hmm. But the reality is, if you try to change that thing, they are losing their power and control over a system that they have designed. So it's a it's a structural problem that goes
0: back to July nineteen sixty six. So, do you have some kind of um, soft spot for people who are clamoring for the country to be <laughs> divided, in a sense, like so? Of- I'm not saying that you are on the same. Um, or, or I'm not asking if you're on the same um, ideological wavelength as they are. But do you sort of have a level of sympathy for the likes of Nnamdi Kanu, Sunday Guru and each and every one of these um, guys who, who think that it's time to to end Nigeria in a sense, figuratively speaking? My answer
1: to that question is no. I have no sympathy for them because I don't even support the breaking up or the division of the country. Mm -hmm. What I support is a restructuring or a reorganization of the country back to what it was when we gained our independence. Because if you remember, before we had independence, there was a constitutional conference that created our constitution. In July 1966, military officers took over, or since the military has been in power, they've just been manufacturing documents that the Nigerian people had no involvement in. So I don't support dividing the country, but I'm saying let's go back to what we agreed to when we got this independence. And that was the constitution we were using in, in 1960 because that is what it is. It's the departure from that constitution that is creating all the problems we have. In fact, if you look back to all the institutions that we've ever had that work, you will find that there were all institutions created in that period before uh, the
0: military took power. So what's the key difference between that um, constitution and the present one, which I believe is the 1999 constitution? So, so I can give you an example. Uh, first is the Land Use Act.
1: Under the previous constitution, individuals own land in perpetuity, as we were say in law. Okay. With the Land Use Act, nobody owns the land. In your state, the land is vested in the governor. Even when you buy land, all you're really doing is buying a lease of the land for 99 years. And what that means is the day you offend the governor or you have a falling out, I'm I'm sure you've seen what happens in Kaduna and other states where Mm -hmm. you have an argument with the governor and they tell you your certificate of occupancy has been revoked Mm -hmm. and there's nothing you can do. So these are some of the things that have, have, have destroyed the economy because for... If, if I had money, for example, and I wanted to invest in property, I have two options. I could invest in, in property in England, America, or three options, England, America, or Nigeria. Why would I take £100,000 and buy land in Lagos when I know that the day uh, me and Tinubu have an argument, <laughs> they can just revoke my land? Mm-hmm. So these things are deterring a lot of the investment that could have come into the country. So that's just one example. Of the of the problem of of our constitution.
0: So now, is there uh, th- does that also affect the way security is managed, such that um, governors are referred to the chief security officers of their state? Yet they have almost no power, in a sense, to um, control the um, security apparatus. You know, it's all about. The whole power is vested in in the one the man in abuja
1: Yes, because in the in the US and even UK you have local police forces. So what will happen is if you lived in let me just pick a town. If you lived in Birmingham, for example, you would join the local Midlands Police Force. You would be someone who was born in that town or lives in that town. So your remit as a police officer is to police that area. They won't say because you're a Birmingham police officer will post you to Scotland when you don't know anything about Scotland. So half the time, the problem with Nigerian police and Nigerian security is you have people who are guarding or supposed to be securing a locality but have no knowledge okay. about what is taking place in that locality. And also there is no accountability in, in the US or in the, in the UK when there's there's crime in a particular area. It's either the governor of the state or the mayor of the town people hold responsible and say look you are messing up we're going to vote you out in Nigeria you have a situation where a governor is sitting in Edo state but the commissioner of police doesn't even sometimes not take his calls so the person responsible for insecurity is in Abuja so there's nobody to to take charge of the situation so yes uh, the our faulty constitution is also causing the insecurity we are facing
0: so what's, what's the current, um, what's happening in, 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 in that now? Because it seems as though every week I hear of, of kidnappings and it's not just one person being kidnapped. I mean, one person is bad. But when you have this large scale um, and well-taught out and planned kidnappings, you wonder, and, you know, they are happening so often and it's a safe, I don't know, is it, are there people behind it in a sense who are really gaining something from this?
1: Well, yes. Whenever there's crime, somebody is obviously gaining. But the fundamental point, once again, takes us back to July 1966. The design of the Nigerian state is faulty. So now let's take insecurity in the north. It it is a multifaceted problem. The first issue is education. The education system is terrible, and governments have not done enough to educate poor northerners. The economy in the north is terrible. And when the economy is terrible, you're more likely to find people drifting into all kinds of uh, criminality. Then thirdly, you have this issue of Sharia law, that was inserted into the constitutional arrangement. And a few governors even went further. And because the, first of all, there was already an argument as to should Sharia law even be involved in any kind of criminal issues or should it even, is it compatible with the constitution? And then you now have governors who have said it should also apply to criminal matters. And what that did was it radicalized a number of people. I don't know if you remember, it started off with that governor in Jigawa State, Sani Yerima, on the mm-hmm. Obasanjo's uh, presidency. This is where the whole process kicked off. So when you merge these four problems together, it has now created a very potent cocktail. And the, the final problem is the quality of our security services. The military is supposed to be an institution that is supposed to function on the basis of merit. But what happened since... 1966, was a lot of incompetent people were being recruited into the force, not because of their ability, but because they were loyal to senior coup plotters. Now, if you think about it, Babangida was, or Abacha, was head of state in the 1990s. An officer who joined or who was recruited under Babangida, Abacha, or even Buhari, many of them are still in service. So... There's this thing they say in computing that garbage in, garbage out. So if you recruited garbage in the 1990s and many of them are still in service, it is no surprise that all they can produce is garbage. You have soldiers who cannot even read or write but the end of the service because uh, they're from the same ethnic group as one general or one ogre. You've seen how Buhari basically has turned the military into some sort of ethnic militia where if you're not from his ethnic group, you don't seem to get any important or prestigious appointments. So my view is Nigerians should not be surprised that there's insecurity. In fact, it should be the opposite. We should even be surprised that things are not worse than they are because you cannot make a cocktail of mess and be surprised that the cocktail tastes like mess.
0: How, how can they? Nigeria get, but it's, it's you know, tribal and ethnic grievances, especially when you have someone like, I know I haven't mentioned his name so this time, but someone like Buhari in charge that is obviously um, not so pleased with the other 5%. Well, bu- bu- the
1: first step is, Buhari should not have been voted for in the first place in 2015 because his antecedents were well known. Absolutely. there were weekly leaked cables where Tinubu himself said Buhari is an ethnic supremacist and an agent of destabilization. Professor Wally Shoenka wrote articles telling us about Buhari's past. Many of the people, even Tunde Bakari, used to say Buhari was not fit for the presidency. Obasanjo held the same view. So- Everybody knew who Buhari was, but because of whatever grievances the various political actors had against Jonathan, Mm -hmm. they decided to cut their noses to spite their faces. So we now have a divisive ethnic supremacist as president. And a part of me says, well, it's a bit too late to be asking, what can we do now? As they say, it's easy to give a madman a knife, but it's not easy to take it off him. So... We have to just ride out this eight years because there's nothing else that can be done. You cannot have a conversation with somebody who is not interested. But going forward, one of the people I remember is Nelson Mandela. He came out from prison and he sat down and realized that, look, we need to have an honest conversation with the white minority leadership. So I think that's what Nigeria needs to have. We need to have a serious constitutional conference where we sit down with the North and say, okay, look, we understand that the Northern leadership has enjoyed dominance over Nigeria. And we understand that it's very hard when you've had power to want to surrender it. But we in the South are saying, the country is not working. And if we carry on like this, it's probably going to end up in a civil war or implosion. So how can we meet each other halfway? So if you give us restructuring, we can agree, for example, that from the money we make in our states, We can contribute maybe 50 to 25% into a central fund. And that fund will be used to support the poorer northern states, because that's what happens in most federal systems. The states keep between 50 to 75% of their revenues, contribute some to the center, and that money is used to support the poorer states. So that's the kind of conversation I think statesmen from the north and the south should have. Because if statesmen don't rise up and have that conversation, what you will see more of is charlatans like Nandi Kanu, Sunday Ibu, and others who would rise
0: up and cause chaos. Mm -hmm. So in line with that, what do you think about zoning, political parties zone, um, the presidency to south, east, south, south, and all that? What do you think about that? Well, my answer is with our current structure,
1: we're basically a federal republic of turn by turn. So a lot of the wealth in the country is produced in the South, yet everybody in the country says we must share it based on equity. So you find states like Lagos have only 20 local governments, states like Kano have over 44. And what those local governments do is because those local governments are written into the constitution. So basically when you're sharing money that has been produced by everyone, the states with more local governments already get more money than you who contributed money in the first place, because you have only 20 and Kano has 44. Katsina too has over, I think about 30 something. So the constitution has written in uh, advantages into some states over others. Now, so if we share everything based on turn by turn, when it's time for admissions to university, we say it should be, the the admissions should be shared. So Mm -hmm. it's not a case of uh, Anambra gets them, they say, no, 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 Katsina too should get a slot. So you lower the standards for Katsina. The question I then ask is, why is it that when it's time for presidential power, everybody then says, no, 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 it should be about marriage. Yeah. The logic says, well, if you think everything should be shared, then we should also share the presidency. The Igbos have not had the chance to be president. So it's their turn because it's a federal republic of turn by turn. Mm-hmm. But if you say no, it should be on merit, then Mm -hmm. fine, let everything be on merit. Then restructure the country so everybody lives by that principle. What is unjust for me is the fact that it's always when it's the Igbo's turn for something Mm -hmm. that everybody starts talking about, no, 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 it should be about merit. So yes, So my view is if we're going to run this turn-by-turn constitution, then
0: zoning is also part of the the turn-by-turn. Is there a fear of having an Igbo man in, in power? Is there a fear that comes with that?
1: Well, I I think so. Um, I'm I'm half Edo, half Urobo. So okay. I'm not an Urobo man. So I don't want anybody to think that I'm speaking this way because I have some Igbo roots. But the truth of the matter is, there clearly is. If you look at videos of interviews, Ahmadou Bello, who was former Sadhana and uh, former Premier of the Northern Region, gave many, many years ago. He made his views on, on igbos No, he, he detested them. And you can see it in the fact that even in the structure of our country, every, in quotation zone, has six states. The Igbos are the only ones with five. You can see with political appointments, EBOS uh, always seem to be shortchanged. I think it was only Jonathan and Obasanjo that took steps to begin to give Igbos prominent appointments. So you can see with regards to ports, we should have ports across most of the coast of Nigeria. But you can see that. There is a reluctance to build ports in the in the southeastern part of the country because there's a fear that if you build ports, Igbos will become rich and start carrying their shoulders, as they say in Nigeria. So you listen to the to the, the things Buhari has said. There was a time he was asking him questions about uh, the southeast, and he, in his tone, he said, what, what else do they want? So you just need to listen to the, the, the tone of politicians. You can tell that uh, for reasons best known to them, they, they detest the evils.
0: I'm not one who, who loves to resurrect the past, but do you think that Nigeria State ha- um, needs to have an, an honest conversation about the, the Biafran war? In a sense?
1: Well, where I would disagree is, I would say you should want to resurrect the past. So mm-hmm. I don't think there's anything, I, I, I think it's, uh, with, with all due respect, I think I don't think you should be even be saying, I'm not one to resurrect the past. You should actually say, I am one who resurrects the past. Every journalist, student, any profession you're you're in, yeah. if, you don't, if you don't look at the past, then you won't even know where you are going. Because as, as the, the wise man once said, there is nothing new under the sun. Mm-hmm. So people who are the smartest in their field are people who have learned from the past or who always interrogates the past. So yes, we need to have an honest conversation about the Civil War. If you remember, it was a very bizarre war in the first place because Mutala Muhammad and his gang seized power and they called the name of their coup Operation Araba, which means we are separating, we're leaving the country. So you planned a coup on the basis that you are seceding and then you killed thousands of Igbos. Those Igbos then said, okay, we too we are leaving. And then you then turn around and fight the Civil War saying, no, 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 Nigeria must be one." So I'm thinking to myself, does this even make any sense to anybody? You, you you planned a coup to leave the country. The rest of us say we are going to, and then you turn around and say, no, no, nobody's going anywhere. And therefore millions of people should die because of your, your stupid petulance. Mm-hmm. So these are the questions we need to be asking ourselves. So I, I agree that it needs to be interrogated. There are many families that lost uh, parents, lost brothers, lost sisters. There are so many traumatized people in Nigeria because of the civil war. There's a large Igbo diaspora in Britain and in America. Many of them carry the scars of of the civil war. So you cannot create an inclusive country if you don't talk about the past and apologize for for, for the crimes that were committed against uh, the the Igbo people.
0: I mean, of course, I I would agree with you. I wasn't saying that completely we should forget the past. I mean, one of my favorite lines is, um, those who do not learn from history are doomed to to repeat its mistakes. But, you know, of course, there are certain things that happen in the past you learn from and you move on. I was just, you know, making up the point that because I'm an Igbo man, some some people will, might think that that's why I'm so um, concerned about it. But I, I agree with you that, yes, there are still um, issues that need to be to be dealt with from, from that.
1: Well, I would also say again that, yes, because you're an Igbo man, that's why you should want to know the past. There's nothing wrong with it. It's Absolutely. just like telling me that because I'm a uh, because I'm a Christian, that's why I want to read the Bible. Well, yes, yeah. that's the whole point. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm, an, I'm half Edo, half Edo, so I'm very interested in Edo history. Anybody who has a problem with that knows where to go. But they cannot tell me as an Edo man that I should not be interested in Edo history. So you, as yeah. an Igbo man, should if if you want, you should spend every day reading books on Igbo history. That is that is nobody's problem. That is your prerogative as an as an Igbo man. Absolutely.
0: So so, yeah, just um, a quick one. I know people, people, um, in a sense, they will tell you that um, there is a huge problem with religion in Nigeria, maybe that's the key issue. But when you look at it, do you think that religion or tribalism and all this, which of the two do you think is is more of a problem in, in Nigeria?
1: I think religious extremism yeah. is a problem. We, we can see the effects in northern Nigeria. R- religious extremism over the years has destroyed the economy of that region. Over, In fact, since I was young, you always hear stories where for no reason there'll be a riot in Kano. it would go to, uh, I think, Sabongari, which is the Igbo part of the town. it would go there, attacks will be launched and innocent people will be killed. And over time, a lot of people who used to open, have businesses in in Kano, in Kaduna, in Jos. many of them began to move back south. And that is one of the reasons why the economy of the north has gone downhill and Boko Haram has arisen. So yes, religious extremism is a problem, but also tribalism too is a problem. The Nigerian constitution, for example, is a product of tribalism. So Tribalism is basically written into our constitution and it's, it's, one of, it's also a fundamental problem. My view has always been that if you are educated, you need to embrace your education. So you, don't ju- you shouldn't judge people based on the, the ethnic group or the color of their skin or the, wherever they're from. You should judge people based on, on their character. Sadly, the Nigerian constitution doesn't do that. It's, it's a tribalist constitution. So we need to address that. We also need to address the problem of religion and not just religious extremism in terms of violence but also I think the the leaders of our churches also need to be more responsible in their interpretation and application of scripture. I'm a Christian for example but I'm not a Pentecostal. I jokingly call them uh, Pentecostalists because uh, you listen to some of these sermons where all the pastor seems to be concerned about is who doesn't tithe and who is tithing and money I bought a new uh, private jet, or so I'm buying a new house. And I'm thinking, what does any of this have to do with the Christianity of Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. I mean, Paul in the Bible talked about he has known to, he he has learned to live with plenty, he has learned to live with nothing. But in all things, I can do all things through, through Christ who strengthens me. Mm-hmm. And he talks about that to live is Christ, but to die is, is gain. So that's his ultimate gain, which is to die and go to heaven. But you find Christianity in Nigeria where They don't want to die. They all all want to be on earth to enjoy their seven Mercedes and their private jets. You see them actively praying against death, as if death is a curse. Meanwhile, you see Paul who was saying he wanted to die, that every day he prays that he can die and go to be with Jesus. But you listen to pastors in Nigeria and they are binding and casting against death, almost as if when you die, you are going to some demonic place. So these are the things I think uh, are a problem. I mean, even on the political front, I am not. I don't think pastors should become politicians. I think if you're a pastor, you should, you should focus on your church. But I think pastors also have a duty to speak the truth. What you find in Nigeria is you have pastors who meet with these politicians but cannot even tell them to their faces that Mr. President or Mr. Governor, this thing is wrong. Instead, they are solely concerned with what offering or what tithe Mr. Governor or Mr. President is going to bring to the church. So yes, i will say religion is a problem. And tribalism too is a problem.
0: Absolutely. All right. No, thanks for that. So, finally, I want us to um, talk about the um, NSAS um, protest and all that. Of course, we, we all know that NSAS didn't start today. But as I said from uh, the beginning, I do believe that the, the leaders were shocked that somehow it's, it it, it it's happened in the way it happened, and which is why they. They, they forced themselves to believe that somehow it was funded by, by, by people from, from outside the country. So, um, but the aftermath, do you think that um, the root causes are being dealt with? Or do you, do you Would you agree with me that they're still being ignored?
1: Well, it's obvious that the root causes from the, from the start, it was clear to me that the root causes were never going to be addressed. You heard the attorney general on TV even as the inspector general was pretending to care about the grievances, the attorney general was on TV calling the SARS protesters criminals and saying there's nothing wrong with what SARS is doing. And then you saw the panels that were set up. The army, first of all, refused to attend. The police then went to court to challenge the the panels, even though the, the panels were supposedly created by the president. So how can a president create a panel and then the police is going to court to challenge a panel that their own government created. So you saw what happened at the Lecky toll gate, where yeah. uh, Fashola, or as they call him, Inspector Fash, was prowling around the place, uh, looking for and uh, finding some Lecky secret camera. camera yeah. Yeah. So it, it was always clear to me that these people have no interest in solving the problem. But the ultimate slap in the face was the fact that Uh, General Buratai, the Army Chief, who, under the chain of command, was responsible for the murder, the massacre of people at at Leki, was not only kept in place, but rewarded by being promoted to a Nigerian ambassador. So what this tells you is that there was no interest in trying to solve the problem. If there was, the first person who would have been fired would have been the Army Chief, because the President would have wanted to know who ordered troops to go and shoot innocent people in Leki? And the way the Nigerian military works is the president is, is commander-in-chief, and the next in line is the chief of army staff. The chief of I'm sorry, directives go directly from the president to the chief of army staff. So if troops were moved, the chief of army staff would have had to order it. So it was clear from to me that these people were not interested in addressing the, the fundamental problems.
0: Why you, how, how is it that we've gotten leaders who uh, somehow don't recognize the fundamental rights of people to peacefully assemb- assemble?
1: Well, there's something I often say on Twitter, because I, I tweet in my spare time on politics, that you cannot plant yam and expect to harvest cassava. If you know Buhari, Buhari has never been a respecter of human rights. He was a human rights abuser in his first term. Officers and men and pe- businessmen who knew Buhari personally all said this person takes pleasure in people's suffering. So if you elect that kind of person as president, it's a bit bizarre when people are asking why why. Does this person, why are human rights not being respected? You planted yam, you should expect to harvest yam, not uh, cassava. So Buhari himself has no interest in these things. So, I mean, the the sad part is a few months into his tenure, there was the massacre of the Shiites in the north. Which they killed over, I think, 400, 500 people. Some of them were even buried alive. At the time, Buhari was on TV justifying it. He said, look, they, they tapped the chest of a general, and therefore that was right. What is upsetting for me is a lot of the people who later joined the NSARS protests were the same group of people who were justifying Buhari's statement then. They said, yes, why would, uh, why would, prote- why would uh, Shiites block an army chief? Because one of the myopic problems with Nigeria is when it's, when suffering is ha- happening to somebody else, We don't think it will ever come to us. So you find that a lot of the people who were carrying the Ensars banners, screaming Ensars, were the same people who justified the the brazen attack, basically the the genocide against the Shiites. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, their leader, uh, Sheikh El Zagzaki, has been detained illegally against court orders since 2015. And a lot of the lawyers who were shouting Ensars we're defending Buhari at the time. So the answer to your question is it's not that we it's not necessarily that we have leaders who don't respect human rights. The problem is we elect people who don't expect who don't respect human rights and pretend to be surprised that they're not respecting human rights.
0: So do you have hopes for any hope for 2023?
1: I think, as they say, where there's life, there is hope. I have hope because I saw thousands or probably millions of young people, both on the ground and online, demanding action with Ensars. So you can see that there's a groundswell of people who want good governance, but it is not enough to want good governance. Uh, We have to be able to organize ourselves and make the right choices. There's no perfect candidate. There's no perfect politician. But what we have to do is interrogate history and say, based on this person's antecedents, based on history, based on the facts in front of us, which of these candidates is the lesser of two evils? And if we had made that and conducted that analysis in 2015, we would have realized that Jonathan, as much as people didn't like him, was head and shoulders better than Buhari. If they had done that analysis in 2019, they would have seen that Atiku was the better candidate than Buhari. In 2023, I wish people would step back and also conduct an analysis with with what I'll call intellectual integrity. So whatever biases you have, park them to the side and look at the quality of the candidates in front of you, look at their past, look at the antecedents and then make an honest choice as to who you think is better. I think if Nigerians do that, then there might be hope in 2023. But I also think those Nigerians in the diaspora who have resources, who have money, should also use whatever, whatever influence they have to support people who are trying to make a change on the ground.
0: All right, thank you so much, Michael. Um, thanks for doing this with me. Hopefully we'll get to do really this some other time. Um, thank you very much manuel for having me sure. Always so, a pleasure. Sure. so where can people
1: get more of your contents um oh yes um i tweet my twitter handle is at nigeria's best and i also do a weekly politics podcast it's called nigeria politics weekly it's on spotify and google uh, podcasts it's called nigeria politics weekly
0: all right so I'll, I'll definitely include a link to this um to do is put your tweet in and, and the podcast. Thank you very much, Manuara. Okay. Thanks a lot. Um, have a blessed day okay. ahead. You too. Thank you.